1: What's up, y'all? I'm Amanda Seals, and listen, I get it. We're in some serious times, so I think some of y'all forgot I'm a comic. She had them jokes. I mean, you forgot I had a whole HBO comedy special. Ivy. Ivy, Ivy. You forgot I showed love to how black women give compliments. Okay, polka dots! <laughs> and shade to how white women move in corporate America. Stop CCing all these unnecessary people on these guys I get it. We've been pooped up for a long time. That's why the Amanda Seals Black Outside Again Comedy Tour is coming to a city near you. Go to AmandaSeals.com today and get your tickets so we can laugh and learn our way through this madness together. How black am I gonna have to get?
0: A podcast network. Have you seen OJ talking on Twitter? It's the weirdest boomer shit, but he's a murderer. Yeah. He's just a murderer on Twitter being like, Guys, I don't know what's up with America these days. I look at America and I'm like, hey, uh 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 can we uh you know, get something done in government? <laughs> like what's what's going on? Anyway, guys, uh thanks for being here on the Twitters. I Who's I a really person gotta kill? <laughs> <laughs> It's just so, and then just like flashes this smile, and then like you watch him, like old man, try to turn the camera off. Wait, he's like videoing. He's videoing. He, this is just videos of OJ, just like in his, like on a golf course, just being like, "Hey, hey guys, hey, thanks, hey Twitter, it's me, Orndahl James Simpson."
1: You might be familiar with me from the Naked Gun movies, or my wife on a step lying bloody. <laughs>
0: It's really weird. Like, I was even too young to know. I didn't know OJ before he was a murderer, right? Right. And he, like, it's just, it's very, very weird. It's very weird. I hate, I hate this world sometimes. (laughs) Everyone's just following him and just enabling this. And it's like, he's a murderer. But we're like
1: voyeurs. We want to look at things and and laugh at them. And then, are we encouraging them by doing that? Are we encouraging them by fighting it? Because I feel like that's definitely what's happening. I mean, there's with definitely. Trump. I
0: have people in my feeds that I don't like because it is fun. I think they're bad people, and but it's fun to watch them and see their posts. So I'm like, I I'm voyeuristic to an extent, but I'm not. I'm not going to follow OJ
1: yeah how do you know what his tweets look like just are other people sharing them
0: yeah when other people retweet or something like it, Twitter will show that in your feed yeah and so I've I watched that video and I was it's surreal and, and weird it's like it's like watching the cat's trailer if the cat's trailer had murdered their <laughs> wife and waiter <laughs> <laughs> you're listening to Mormon and the meth head
1: if you put a Mormon and a meth and together, this is what they sound
0: like. Aaron would all just a radar. Let's listen to them talking to Mike. Mormon the Mormon and the and the,
1: and the All right, guys, welcome to season three of Mormon and the Math Head. <laughs> This is my new favorite thing is just like arbitrarily changing seasons, but then never you doing have it.
0: A, you have had a new podcast, Soberish, for a month and you're on season eight. Can you're I- just f- like every, every week, you're like, you know what? I'm going to change the direction of the podcast. And now it's like a, it's like a baking show <laughs> with Lil Nas X and it's like, what?
1: I started this podcast, it was going to be an addiction podcast and it was kind of like a collaboration with somebody else. And then I did it, and I was bad at it. I didn't like it. Um, I'm not the interviewer. When we have people on the podcast, you interview, and I interject weird shit. And so when other people are on the podcast, also, I'm just not that passionate about addiction. I was like, oh, I can, like, explore other angles. But then I wasn't doing that. I didn't like it. And I was just going to get rid of it. And everyone's like, wait, what? You know, I got... I did 10 of them, and I was like, these most of these will never see the light of day. Not because the people weren't good, but like I was bad at interviewing. And I was like, hmm yeah, then what? It was like, you know my autopilot? That terrible version of me that shows up when I feel awkward? Yeah. It was that. Imagine that on a podcast.
0: That's your co-host.
1: Oh, it's so bad. So then I was like, I'm just going to get rid of it. And everyone's like, because here's the thing with me. I am constantly throwing shit at the wall, and I'm not married to whether or not it sticks. I'm like, if it doesn't stick, I'm like, all right, on to the next. And so I was just going to get rid of it. And then a lot of people had been asking for me to get more into alien school stuff. And we'll get into this on our podcast. But I'm kind of coming out of this, I hate the word new age, but kind of coming out of this alien school closet a little bit more than I have in the past. And it's something that I'm self-conscious about on our podcast because I love all the ex-Mormons so much. But I know that they're atheists. A lot of them are atheists. I know a lot of them are triggered by this sort of stuff. And so it's something that I get... Uh, self conscious about for that, but I'm also afraid of people thinking I'm crazy. So anyway, after four episodes of Soberish, I was like, all right, now it's season two and the show has a completely different <laughs> concept. <laughs> Because I was gonna delete them, but there was four really good episodes. But then, didn't
0: you go back? I thought you did. Like you're like I thought you said this isn't gonna be about addiction anymore. And then your very next episode was about addiction. Yeah.
1: Well, I was like, it'll be about both. It'll mostly be about yeah. The very next one was about codependency, which is about addiction. But yeah, so it's a four-episode season one, and then season two will just be infinite.
0: (laughs) I have you ever watched the first season of your favorite show? Like, the first season of Parks and Rec, there's no need to watch it, in my opinion. It's not Parks and Rec. It's a completely different show. Oh, good the point. Chari- I
1: thought you were saying there was a show called My Favorite Show. No, no. <laughs> just
0: anybody. I'm just, like, the first season is often, it's not, you can't, it's not like this with every single show, right? Some shows stick it from the beginning and know what they are. But you'll see in lots and lots of sitcoms, characters completely change as they as they go. Because they're like, okay, this isn't working. Like Donna and Tom are completely different. Let's Amy put po- Leslie Nope. Leslie Nope is total is is way different in season one than she is from the rest of the show. She's not likable in season one. Uh, she's just they're like they're just making her like Michael Scott. And there's not like the lovable weird energy that she had. Like they come into their own as the show progresses. The office, look at Kelly Kapoor in the office in season one dresses completely differently. Like she's like buttoned up and like quiet and calm or whatever. And then she becomes this like loudmouth gossiping, emotional drama queen who, uh, yeah, the works in the back. It's I'm sure just...
1: if I went back and listened to the first few episodes of Mormon and the Method, I would feel cringy. But I'm mostly because of I'm a completely different person now, and it would be hard for me to listen to a, a less authentic version of myself. But at the end of recording twenty eight, the episode one, we were like, "That's it." Yeah. You know, I mean, I I did not feel that way recording. Mm -hmm. Episode one of Soberish is me telling my story, and it was fine. But then the second I started getting other people on, afterwards I would feel bad
0: we put a lot of planning and forethought before we ever recorded an episode in a Mormon in the method. Right. We had lots of discussions. We had months that we talked about it. We planned stuff out, outlined things. We had a really good idea of going into it. Whereas a lot of people just, you know, buy a couple of microphones and sit down with their roommates and just, and just start. and yeah. their, their podcast evolves like that, you know? Uh, but our podcast has definitely evolved and changed a little bit. I want to go back to what you said about Alien School closet. I don't know how many ex-Mormons are that bothered by uh, alien school stuff. I think it's possible they could be, but we haven't I haven't seen that many comments from people or like heard that much feedback from people that it's weird. I think I think what's what is triggering for me is just a belief system. Right. When you're talking about, uh, like things having a meaning or a purpose, and you're talking about like all all this alien school stuff and was sent to, uh, we're going to usher in a new age that I, in, in, I would go to church and people would talk about how the second coming is upon us. These, these are the last days. These are important days where all these changes are happening. See all the stuff that's happening in the earth. When you talked about the earthquakes the other day, like you were talking about natural disasters when we were talking about talking with Craig, Uh, on an episode that's probably going to be on our patreon soon check it out craig salazar from energy is love podcast and you were talking about how natural disasters are going to uh separate us into like a leftover style timeline and that uh 5d people are going to go here 3d people are going to go here and you're talking about this earthquake and that earthquake that's coming i mean my whole life, any time there was a, there were a couple big hurricanes or there was some other big natural disaster, uh, people start clamoring and talking about it. we got to get our food storage ready. You know, right. uh, it's coming, it's coming. This is the time. And so, anytime you start talking about that, I feel a little, I, I feel very skeptical because I'm like, oh, I've heard, I've seen this show before. Right. I know this. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not like against alien school in any way, and I don't know if any ex-Mormon listeners really are, it just might be, we just don't, maybe not, we might not buy into a belief system, but I don't think that means we're like triggered by it or bothered by it.
1: Yeah, I guess triggered might not be the right word. The thing with how alien school stuff, and for anyone that doesn't know what alien school stuff was, a near-death experience, and then I have um, lived the last 20 years in this on and off premise that we are going to a higher level of consciousness that 20 years ago, the things that I was told by guides, whatever I call them aliens. That's why it's called alien school things. I was told in my dreams, whatever. Now in religion, this would all be called prophecy and shit those things have started to come true in the last few years. And they're like very obviously coming true. And now I can see all these pieces and then I can see where it's very obvious that we are stepping into these higher levels of consciousness. And so I recently came out of the closet on Soberish saying, I do still talk to the aliens. I've been talking to the aliens the entire time. I haven't wanted to say that. I say it where it is I say it to people who it resonates with. I don't really see the point. It's not something you evangelize. It's not something I'm trying to convince anyone else of. And so I've always just kind of shared that with people who know, who can hear me, you know, and who maybe have the same experiences. And I've kept it off of everyone else's plate for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't want to evangelize. It's not something you can evangelize. Number two, I don't want people to think I'm crazy. I have a lot of friends who are atheists who are very like, I need to see proof and and stuff like this. And I never wanted to seem insane to them. And so when I say I didn't want to trade, you always
0: use atheists as friends as your example. Do you have any religious friends that would think that think it's crazy or is it just the atheist you're worried about making fun of you?
1: Well, so that's a good question Um, because it's really been a switch for the first 10 years. I hid it from religious people because they would think it was demonic Uh So I had like an alien, like I had like a a combination of Wiccan and magic and alien wedding, but we had it all hidden (laughs) in a way. Yeah, like our whole ceremony was like veiled magic, but it was hidden in a way, which really pissed the priestess off, hidden in a way that the Christians could be there and the Christians wouldn't know. And I have two Facebooks, one one for where the Christians are because I used to give a fuck about that. I used to give a fuck about the Christians thinking I was new age and demonic. And then that really flipped in the last year to where I don't really give a fuck what the religious people think anymore. I don't have them in my life. Mostly.
0: Now you have more atheists in your Now life?
1: I have more atheists in my life and I enjoy the banter when it's one-on-one me and my atheist friends where there's usually mutual respect there, but Opening up on the podcast, I'm sure it's been obvious that I've been defensive on multiple times where I I don't like getting into this like, well, that's not real, this kind of smug thing because I don't feel like I am out trying to get people to believe that it's real. I'm just sharing my experience, but because I'm doing it on the podcast, I then feel like I'd rather not do it. I'll go on Karen Rontowski's podcast and go balls out. Alien school. Yeah.
0: So here's the thing that I want to clarify for our listeners, because I think people listening go, you have already come out of the closet. Like right. you talk about alien school stuff, but there is, you're saying you hold, you hold stuff back when you talk about I it on this. I way hold
1: stuff back. Number one, I don't think I, I ever said on this podcast that I still talk to aliens. I feel like on the podcast, I leave it at when I got clean, like that I talked to aliens for four years, I think. I I don't think I've ever gone. I think that we've mentioned some things, but we haven't explicitly stated it. I have recently started making myself specify when something that I'm saying was said by the aliens. And so now, yeah, now my communication style where I'm like, wait, they just said this. I've been doing tarot readings. So when
0: you said yeet, yeet, motherfucker. Yeah. uh, (laughs) Was that from you or the aliens?
1: Uh, Did that sound? (laughs) I don't know what aliens sound like.
0: Um what if yeet is alien
1: language? Well, I was gonna say it sounds alien. <laughs> yeet yeet. It sounds Syrian. I don't think I ever got into it. I think we did a couple magic episodes where I did talk about still seeing ghosts. And, yeah, that's the
0: one I was just thinking about. Oh, I
1: did talk about the Russian guys, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I remember at that worlds. point, I remember at that point being like, yeah, I'm gonna get more into this. I'm gonna talk more into this. And then I was on Reddit, which I've now learned. I'm going to take some giant steps back from It's none of my business what you guys think about me or the podcast. And I don't want to look at it anymore. It affects me. And I'm now becoming someone who's in touch with her emotions and realizing like this affects me. So one person said that we were pushing dangerous like law of attraction stuff. And I like lost my mind at the idea that I was pushing dangerous propaganda or whatever, talking about my own experience And then somebody else who was complimenting me, uh, complimenting us, said something like, you know, Jessa talks about esoteric stuff with what I feel like is unwarranted fervor or whatever the fuck. And um, in my head, I'm like, this is everything I was afraid of, which is I don't want to talk like... I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to be public about this. I want to talk to people one-on-one who want to talk about it. I don't want to put this out there and have people think I'm crazy. So I backed way off on our podcast.
0: Right. Uh, And by the way, we we were not pushing anything dangerous. That's one person's uh, opinion because they got triggered by it. There's that... What you said about Law of Attraction stuff was very personal, individual. You weren't, uh, I don't know. I thought it was very tame. I also told, I've I've instructed our listeners to go to Beverly Hills and forcibly remove people from their homes (laughs) and eat their flesh. And I was dead serious about it. no one said shit to me.
1: (laughs) You were like, uh, anyway. There was a lot. There was a resistance to becoming a new age guru. And I had a lot of... I guess we should backtrack a little bit of...
0: Yeah, we kind of jumped in. Yeah. And, uh, do you want, all right, so it has been about eight weeks yeah. since Jessa and I broke up. And we didn't see each other for eight weeks. Uh, sorry, sorry, I meant to pause for you guys to go, oh, and cry and stuff and uh and for
1: then celebrate for uh, those of you that that's uh relevant for fuck
0: them oh god so we planned our breakup uh i would just like to say we're probably having the best breakup in modern history maybe we're pretty good at it it's, it's we're doing really really well um and step number one we, we would suggest scheduling a breakup. It worked out really well for us. Uh, we
1: got to have a breakup moon, which is like yeah. just like the honeymoon phase. But at the end, because, you know, it's almost the end. So you get to just like let go of all the drama and just have a beautiful, what was it, 10 days together.
0: So, yeah. So, like, we, we uh, you know, had a fight and had a conversation. We're like, okay, we have to break up. And then we still had shows to do together. And that was going to be awful. And we, Jessa had, was looking at our calendar and was like, you know, we do have this in the summer. We could just cancel this and not book anything here. And we could have this large block of time to not be around each other, uh, which is important for a breakup, which is hard for me and Jessa to do because we have to we, we do all kinds of work together. So we like found this spot that was going to be free. And so Jessa said, why don't we just get back together stay together for the next two weeks and then break up on this day and you guys remember what max said on the podcast about how like he he puts himself into like he's an old man now and uh, he looks he's on his deathbed and he thinks back on on this moment this time with his girlfriend and it's like uh you know it's not gonna last forever so it helps me appreciate it. We had just recorded that with Max when uh, we were breaking up and decided to do this breakup moon. And it was beautiful. It was like two final weeks of just being happy together and like appreciating everything because we knew it wasn't going to last forever.
1: Yeah, it was like all of the baggage that made it difficult for us to be happy together in a relationship wasn't there because there was no fear of it going away. There was no fear of it lasting forever. Like all of the things that trigger us into pain, all we had left was just, and then we got for two weeks just to be what we wished we would have been to each other the entire yep. time. It I was felt like, like I was,
0: I I was much better to you in those last two weeks. And like everything was, it was really nice for two weeks. And we were doing shows together we actually had uh, a problem with the show that uh no one uh uh is paid me for uh but <laughs> we got like with this one extra night and you were like come back to my hotel if you're not if you're not driving home like come back and we had to to be together one last night like one extra night and then in the morning like i got up and like drove we still we still texted all that day and at midnight was yeah the, uh we like said goodbye and i was just like at my parents house in boise texting you at eleven fifty nine, and then we were like bye and then we didn't see each other for two months and we spent two months uh sorting through all that baggage stuff that we had put aside for two weeks. You right. know? It's like we <laughs> you break up and you realize, oh am I gonna have to process shit? Let's just stay <laughs> together then. I don't wanna do that. So we just we just kicked it down the road for two weeks. And uh it was it's been a, a strange and tumultuous eight weeks, would you say?
1: Yeah. I mean I think we I don't think we're done with the, the, the full process, but I think. Yeah, unfortunately, we just have
0: episodes to record. So yeah. <laughs> we, have to, we have to get back together.
1: This is um, another level of it, but I think we came, we went in and came out of that eight weeks completely different people. Uh, I want to backtrack more. Oh, okay. And go to the beginning. And here's a little alien school version of Aaron and Jessa. There's a thing called twin flames. If you believe in the idea that we are going to a higher level of consciousness and that the masculine and feminine split in our energy is part of the old world, um, the dichotomy based reality, if you believe in that, there is a thing called twin flames and don't Google it because most twin flame stuff is over romanticized bullshit.
0: Okay, well that's the only twin flame stuff I know. I mean, uh aside from I mean, obviously you talked to me about it, but in the beginning when we when when we first talked about twin flames, it just seemed like a, a new age term for soulmate.
1: No. I said like if you go back and look at it now, like now that we've experienced it, it's like, "Oh, that's what this was saying." It says often you probably don't end up together that a soulmate is someone who comes into your life, same thing you learn, but you like are more likely to end up with a soulmate than a twin flame. The twin flame is, let's say everyone has like an, an energetic signature to them. The twin flame is the exact same energetic signature, but with the opposite. So like the premise is that when we came into this reality, male and female, we split into the masculine energy and the feminine energy. And now that we are going into a place where we are all balanced masculine and feminine energy again, we find our other half. And so it talks about like the other half of your soul. And then people are like, Oh, that means soulmate. That means I'm incomplete without them. Blah, blah, blah. Cause it feels that way.
0: Twin flames are two pieces of the same soul. Yeah. Are they always split up between masculine and feminine?
1: So for like whatever, and I'm going to do this disclaimer one more time, and then that's the disclaimer for the entire episode. This is just based on this premise if you believe in this premise, which I happen to believe in. Okay. End of that. Go. Um, The premise is that at the beginning of just the 3D fear-based reality, that video game, we went from being whole beings with masculine and feminine energy perfectly balanced, and we split in half because we've been living in this yin and yang karmic reality where there is a male and a female, a good and a bad, a right and a wrong, a light and a dark. It's all dichotomy. The dichotomy isn't real. One of the biggest things that the alien said in 2000 that I've watched come true in the last few years is that male and female will cease to exist. And I remember being like, are dicks going to fall off? Like I didn't have a, in 2000, I didn't have a point of reference for that. And now gender has ceased, not completely, but for the most part, for the more involved people, has ceased to exist. And it's not just about
0: uh, people. definitely cha- Everyone's ideas on on gender have completely changed. Right. Uh- they're they're broadening their scope, and it's not as binary as a. Right. I think for a lot of people, it's still very binary, but that's because you know they're living in the past, and I'm living in 2020 where my dick is falling off. So, uh, but like it's definitely uh, a much broader spectrum.
1: Fast, right? Very fast. This evolution. Well, here's the point of that beyond just people's personal identity. ...is that in order to truly manifest reality... ...I'm not talking about law of attraction... ...but I'm talking about cre- like uh-huh. creating the world that you want to live in... ...you have to be a balance of masculine and feminine. You have to be able to uh, follow your intuition... ...and also m- make things happen. That is a feminine energy and a masculine energy. In order to truly be in touch with who you are as a full being... ...you have to be able to have feelings... And also logic and be able to know when to go back and forth. And what happened when there's this split and then these hard identities of like from childhood being told that's boy things. Those are boy things. When in my generation, boys would get in trouble if their dad caught them playing with a doll.
0: Yeah, man. I took classes at BYU. (laughs) And I know I talk about my sociology of gender class a lot. But it's I, so relevant. So I took I took religion classes as well. You have to take one like every single semester at BYU almost. And uh, I had th- this terrible class on the family, like marriage and family. That's just taught by someone who has uh, no fucking business, uh, no clue what they're talking about. They just they have a family, so now they're a scientist on families. And I remember him just like talking about the differences between boys and girls. And he's like, you know, my my boys play with footballs and my girls play with dolls. And I'm like, who bought them for them? Todd? Like, what are you talking about? Look at a commercial for a boy's toy and a commercial for a girl's toy. And you tell me that we're not, you know, uh, socializing them differently. Right. But for a very long time, you couldn't, uh, do anything remotely feminine without, uh, upsetting, Everyone around you, as a boy, I mean, yeah. like as a little boy, right? Uh, you're gay. Yep. You're a faggot. Uh, your dad will yell at you. Your dad, like, it makes your dad very uncomfortable. I'm, I'm just talking. I'm just in general,
1: but like, even you've talked about you being someone in touch with your feminine energy from a childhood, even if you weren't getting punished for being emotional you weren't your dad wasn't able to resonate on that level with you so there had to have been messages being sent just in his reaction to young you that uh-huh. there was something wrong with yeah. you
0: and i think what people are now learning that they didn't know before that there is a difference between sex and gender that there's a difference between just saying like i'm a male versus like i am masculine right uh, and that you can I think that there are uh, like when in the the when Mormons talk about the proclamation to the world and they talk about like men are like this, and women are like that. There's some, there's some truth there where I think that there are masculine traits and feminine traits that are both good. And like the Mormon church believes that you need them both, but they only think of it in terms of a family. They're like one person brings all the feminine stuff and another person brings all the masculine stuff. And now in this family, we can like be a good balance. And what I think is, is better is to have a whole person who, uh, has traits, that are wonderfully feminine and that are wonderfully masculine. And you have them in that same person like that. There you go. Like you, you've got, you know, so I feel like they're close. There's truth there. And, um, so we have masculine and feminine energy in our, in our souls.
1: Yes. So you have a higher self and an earthly self, right? So you have the person playing RPG, you have the person playing first person shooter macrocosmic microcosmic so whatever you are this is a generalization but generally whatever you are dominant spiritually you are the opposite dominant earthly so this is people on this twin flame thing okay so right what, what do you say i am so you would be dominant sp- on, masculine here on earth here on earth dominant feminine
0: okay so which means that in that my higher self is dominant, more, is dominant masculine. Yeah. Okay.
1: And I'm the opposite. I'm dominant feminine spiritually. So I'm intuitive and um, uh, more head in the clouds spiritually than than you are. But on earth, I'm dominant masculine. And
0: you get stuff done.
1: I get stuff done, but I can't feel You're my powerful. feelings.
0: Powerful. Oh, yeah. That's the downside. So yeah. here on earth, I feel I'm great at feelings. Yeah. I uh am not good at being direct right. because I'm not earthly masculine. Is what you're saying? So what's my spirituality like? If I'm if I'm dominant masculine spirituality, like you said, I have into you have intuition, your head is in the clouds. What is a what is a spiritually masculine? Thing spiritually
1: look like? masculine is more kind of needing proof, things quantified, more kind of feet on the ground. And that's like wasn't always the scenario for you, like in Mormonism and stuff. This part is like something I just recently read and it really resonated with me and it's not something I've looked into with other people or whatever. Um, So I don't want to say that it's always the case, but that's often in people in these twin flame relationships, that is the case. So when we met at Big Sky, by the end of Big Sky, we were both like, I feel like I'm connected to you on a soul level, and that you have keys to me, and vice versa. We both yep. had that sensation, right? Yes. And Big there was s-
0: stuff that I felt like you had for me.
1: Yeah. And, and vice versa. Uh huh. And I even said what that stuff was, but when I said it, it just didn't.
0: What'd you say it was?
1: I said, I felt like you had keys to an armor I've been wearing my entire life. And boy, did I not know what the armor was. Right. And so I the effect that you had on me, I was kind of doing this awakening thing with you that I've done uh, with people before. And then we have a hug in the first night that changes my life. Like the, the, the mask begins to crumble because I'm like, why do I want you in my space? And I didn't think I was attracted to you yet. I didn't look at you physically like that yet. I, it was all very like changing very fast. You weren't someone that I was like, oh, he's hot. I have a crush on him. I didn't think about you like that at all. Then we have this hug, and then I'm like, what is happening? You didn't
0: think I was hot at all?
1: No, weirdly. (laughs) uh, No, at all. And then it was a a really weird process because then a friend of mine at the thing was like, Tim, his hands are hot. And I was like, really? (laughs) And by the end of the festival, I was like, oh, he's hot. But I did not at all. Like, I didn't. It was a very strange.
0: Thanks for opening her eyes, Abby. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And then I remember being like, I, I remember telling you at breakfast, like, I want you in my space, but not being able to figure out what the fuck that means. So by the end of Big Sky, we're like, we feel like we have keys to each other. And it just felt like because Big Sky was so magic and fun, it felt like this process was going to be magic and fun. And what ended up happening almost immediately was I got very attached to you, super attached to you in a strange like twist of events where the thing that made me very attached to you was I felt like I was connected to you on a soul level and you had something of mine and I needed to like put this in a bottle there's something magic here and I need to put this in a bottle and we record what is love a few months later and I'm already codependently attached to you but don't know that I'm codependent I have no idea And when we record that episode, I am giving you advice on love from the perspective of someone who thinks she understands love, from the perspective of someone who had just had a very high-functioning marriage, from the perspective of someone who didn't know that her marriage was high-functioning because she was never once vulnerable or intimate, and from the perspective of someone who did not know that she was in mourning from that marriage because she can't feel her feelings. Yeah,
0: you're just like, keep your hand open.
1: We had paths and they diverged and that's it. And I was like, I can't get over it. I looked at your emotions as something that you needed to evolve out of. I thought I was going to rescue you from this emotional floundering, uh, this sadness. Sadness is bad. You need to evolve to my level where I am above all of that because I had feelings when I was younger and I thought that I, but I was always ashamed of them. Always ashamed of them. I changed my name from Jessica to Jessa when I was a teenager because I was so ashamed of how much I was affected by things that happened to me in my childhood. I was ashamed that I allowed them to happen. And so I created this tough exterior that I then believed. I believed it so much that I ceased to be able to feel feelings. And when we did stuff about divorce and you asked me, you don't think that you are sad about Jason? This is like, I'm in it. It's happening to me right now. And this is how many, this is how many feelings I have access to in my mind. I was like, you're like, you're not sad about Jason. And I was like, no, I don't want to get back together with him. Because that's all I can... And I was
0: like, no, but you're not sad about it?
1: What is there to be sad about? Like,
0: he was your husband for so many years. He's the father of your kids. You had this whole life together. Now you're not uh, together anymore. And, like, you're not sad?
1: No, because I don't... It had to happen. So, uh, like, logic shows up and just strangles the part of me that's having a feeling. And then I... But I carry all that trauma into us. And I become very codependent. And when I talk about codependency, I mean not just wanting to be around you all the time. I mean like I went into a full codependent, uh, like addict episode with you for the next 18 months. And at the end of it, and this is, we'll get into it later. It's very triggering to talk to you about you. We
0: need a whole episode. I did. Yeah. Stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if we're going to be able to to pull it off right away, but it's I'm very ashamed of it and it's very hard. But at the end, we break up and I end up finding out that I am codependent and that I am very much close. So I do this episode about keeping your hand open and then in true uh, jessa form, anytime I talk like an arrogant know-it-all, this is, uh, the universe is like, oh yeah, try this. And then I close my hand on you. And I can't bear the idea of somebody else having you. I can't bear the idea of this connection not lasting forever. I can't deal with the idea that maybe you don't love me the way that I love you. And I turn into a version of myself that I just didn't know I was anymore. I knew I was love was a nightmare for me, but then I had this great marriage with Jason and it's not until the last few weeks that I was like, Oh, I had a great marriage because I, I had what I perceived to be a great marriage because I wasn't having any feelings. I didn't have to, I wasn't intimate. I wasn't vulnerable. And so it was just a, it was a great, it was a business partnership. It was an arrangement that I was comfortable in because we didn't have to deal with my feelings. And then, so I find out I'm codependent. I find out that all of this faded magic stuff between us that I've been like trying to open your eyes to the entire time was just me being balls out, activated in codependency. And then for a minute, I'm like, but I thought that he had keys to me. And then I realize that was the key.
0: Yeah. The, the whole time, almost the whole time, there was some, it was after Big Sky, but before we started the podcast, you started talking to me about what a twin flame was and and sending me articles about it. So I think we always had this word in our, I mean, like on our Patreon tiers, we use the word twins, yeah. uh, like, uh, as just like a subtle little joke just between you and me. And we did record something about it. Once upon a time, that uh, we are saving for for a later date. But, like we 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 use this word uh, throughout our relationship, right? And I think that we even even with everything you said, I think that we both had, in slightly different ways, a more romantic view of that word, right? And that you know when we broke up it was like oh re- oh really i thought we were supposed to be twin flames like i thought this was supposed to be forever i thought we were supposed to be happy right we were supposed right. to be happy but we were unhappy so much of the time we were very unhappy and then the breakup was incredibly unhappy and i similarly went through uh, my own processing uh, and realized things about myself that i had been trying to 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 wake up to for a couple of years now. It was in that breakup, in that pain that a lot of those pieces that you had given to me became solidified. And, right. um, it's been weird to be like, to look back on the stuff that we thought we were going to do and realize that we did all of it and none of it happened the way that we thought it was going to. Exactly. We didn't, um like i there were the things that i wanted from jessa were to be confident the way jessa was to like myself the way jessa likes herself to be direct and to be uh to be productive like how jessa goes out and just gets stuff done where i'm like just sitting at home in my feelings and unable to just like send simple emails to to that would change my life because I'm just like, I don't think that I deserve it. So I just don't do it, right? I'm like, I want to be more like Jessa, who's just like, I'm a bad bitch. I do this. I do that. I get this done. Things don't get, like, failure doesn't get Jessa down. She's like, I fail, I don't care. I'm, I'm on to the next thing. I'm doing this. I'm doing that, right? And so uh, I when we did What is Love, I'm like, I want to be like Jessa, right? Where she has this open hand and she lets things in and out. And like she's like, okay with whatever the universe gives her. And I want to be like that and I was supposed to like teach you how to give hugs like I was supposed to teach you how to to be in touch with feelings and uh, we definitely talked about all of those things throughout the relationship and we definitely got better at all those things throughout the relationship but the relationship was like it seemed like it was causing more problems sometimes like it just seemed like things were getting worse and now uh, at the at the end, when we processed everything, we look back at all those times that we thought we were, that things were getting worse or thought that we were unhappy. And it's like, oh, this was like all part of it. Yeah. This was all part of it. If we hadn't had the problems that we had, which was like, uh, you were codependent and I had this fear of, uh, of intimacy, And like, had one of us not had the other thing, we wouldn't have fixed the, like, I think right now, like I'm, uh, I'm working on fixing my fear of intimacy and you're working on fixing your codependency. But like, if you, if you hadn't been with this guy who was afraid of intimacy, you, uh, your codependency never would have been highlighted. Exactly. My fear of intimacy is sneaky in ways because I want to be intimate and there's a lot of intimacy that I crave but then uh if somebody likes me too much then you know like I'm weird about it and I don't think we would have isolated that and found it had you not been uh, up my ass <laughs> right you and know?
1: like if we didn't have a podcast we never would have gotten to this because we would have,
0: we would have left each other a long time ago yeah. but we are like we gotta we gotta record another fucking episode so I guess we better uh, finish this argument and then <laughs> and then record you and guys have no idea how many e- when people were like worried about us breaking up like oh I how the how will the podcast survive this dude all of your favorite episodes were recorded while we were breaking up <laughs> like we
1: bro- we broke up so many times <laughs> We but broke up, we what, broke up eight times before we became boyfriend and girlfriend. We <laughs> were on season nine now. Uh it was so like I look back now and I'm like, fucking A. So what I knew that you had for me, but when I said it, I didn't understand what it meant. I knew that I was ready to level up to a higher level of like uh energetic awareness, but that this I called it, I said it felt like a wetsuit. Like there was an armor on me that didn't cause a lot of problems, but it kept me protected throughout my life. But now I had gotten to a place where in order for me to like ascend to a higher level of consciousness, I had to take off this armor. I had to learn vulnerability and intimacy. And I've never done that before. And that you were coming into my life to help me to remove that armor. And I knew, I knew that the first time we had sex was gonna be uh, a big triggering thing. Do you remember me telling you that? Yeah. And then I cried my eyes out the first time we had sex. And ordinarily, I cry my eyes out and then I never talk to the person again. But this connection between us and this, um, we didn't even have a podcast yet. We were recording that week. And all of these things happened, but.
0: Yeah, also, all of your, uh, like half of your favorite podcasts. Were recorded uh, right in the middle of a fight, or and then the other half was like uh, right after we had fucked. It <laughs>
1: <laughs> was a lot. It was so triggering when I when I learn about codependency and fear of intimacy the things that trigger it really bad, the being together nonstop for two straight weeks and then being apart for two straight weeks. Like those are things that are huge triggers for both codependency and fear of intimacy. The being pushed together is a a triggering for fear of intimacy The being pulled apart is triggering for codependency. Like we were maxing out our systems. And by the end we were like, we are terrible for each other. Like it was we, I felt like a shell. I kept describing myself as a shell of who I was. I was full-blown compulsive. I was unhappy. I hated myself. I couldn't do Instagram stories because I couldn't bear what I looked like. I couldn't find my self-esteem. I was, um, I now recognize feelings. And so now I'm like, I felt like I was falling apart. And now I recognize like, okay, these are emotions. I now describe it as I like carry around this duffel bag of emotions and I don't know what to do with them. Cause I don't even know what they all are yet. I used to have three and now I'm like, I have to cry. I just like, I have to go cry a few times a day because like I, there's so many that Isn't I have that to great, just let them man. do their thing. What happened crying. as a result of that? And I have not even nearly finished processing it is I am so intuitive. Um, Intuitive doesn't even give it the right word. Like I fully tapped into this very spiritually higher uh, consciousness, energetic thing that I've wanted to get to for so long, but water energy, which is emotion and also that spirituality, they're the same thing. You can't tap into that. You can't truly tap into that living in a mental space. You can't truly tap into that without being vulnerable. I can't tap, I can't truly tap into the collective if I'm armored off from the collective.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about your armor for a second. Okay. You mentioned earlier, like, you you knew about the armor from the beginning, but you, uh you know, what it actually turned out to be was different than what you had in your head. Right. Right? I think, and correct me when I am wrong, but I think in the beginning you described the armor to me as a thing that kept other people out. Like, you know... I have this this suit of armor. It's hard for me to connect with other people. Yeah, like I don't let people hug me. I don't let people into my space. I have a hard time connecting with the people that I love. Um, you know, like uh, it's weird. Uh, I don't know what to do. Right, and so I think that we—that's how we perceived this armor. Right, but we just started reading a book together, which because yeah, we still read. We still read books together. <laughs> um, and it's I got it. I got it for myself because it was about recovering from a toxic relationship. Not this one. My one uh, with Tabitha I wanted to recover from. And yeah, the the book starts out with all this stuff that I was like, oh shit, this is for Jessa. Um, it talked about how when you suffer uh, an emotional uh, trauma that you your yourself has to protect that wound and so it creates the quote protective self and the protective self is this whole new identity for you and this whole new identity that is perfect that is nice that is uh strong and powerful and not at all in touch with those deep wounds and I started sending screenshots to Jessa, which has been a, which was a reversal of, yeah. of past behavior. Usually, Jessa's like always the one sending me screenshots, but I'm like, Jessa, read this. So she got the book and started reading it. And just in like these last few weeks, I think now that armor that you said that I had keys to wasn't well, it wasn't only about like connecting with other people. It was like you were prevented from connecting with yourself there was you had this whole other idea of who you were and then there was like this thing inside that suit that's like oh no no i'm i'm jessica like yeah. this is me and i don't know
1: i keep having these like no that's completely accurate okay okay i keep having these realizations like back to back to back to back and i think about how i saw there was some strange paradox where You were the first person who had feelings that I didn't immediately write off as weak. And there was, it was something about how I was attracted to you that made me accept that in you that I don't accept that in other people, but I still tried to fix it. I still spent episode after episode after episode of this podcast, trying to get you to a place where you no longer had feelings because to me, because I because you were reflecting that back to me, and that was the part of me that was trying to come up, and so that same part of me was like, no, 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 no. Okay, if we can get you to stop feeling these feelings, we can get you. Like to me, like sadness was the was failure. And uh, yeah,
0: like I remember just to go back to how you were talking about your marriage, and you said, "I'm not sad. I don't want to get back together." I remember when I would express sadness over Tabitha. You would say, do you want to get back together? Are you guys going to get, do you think you'll get back together? Are you going to get back together? And I'd be like, no, I'm not getting back together. I just miss her. I miss the idea of her. I miss who she used to be. Like, I am no. There's no way we're getting back together. And then you'd be like, why are you sad about it? I couldn't. <laughs> and you wanted me to like accept it and stuff. And I just wanted to express it.
1: Yeah, I couldn't we we had a conversation today about something where you experience feelings in this, this gradient. And a lot of our conflict was love. Like the, there were two speeds of love, friendship or whatever the fuck was happening to me, straight up codependent balls to the wall attachment. And you're like, I don't feel the same way you feel. And I'm, I love you as a friend. And I'm like, you don't love me as a friend. Like, friendships are this. And then after a while, you're like, there's a, you know, there's levels. There's levels. There's a gradient. I'm like, no, there's not a gradient. There's two things. I either
0: hate you or I want to live with you. This is
1: that I put all people
0: on earth into that cat, into those two categories. (laughs)
1: And there are things now where I, I now look at your connection with feelings and I'm like, as it's happening to me and as I'm dragging this duffel bag around and being like, oh, some of these feelings don't match logic. And some of these feelings show up and um, vulnerability is like the the reaction that I have to vulnerability, which has not gotten any better. I just did something slightly vulnerable, not even really vulnerable, and then perceived a rejection and went into a, like a full worst case scenario mental breakdown where I was like, I'm never going to know what love is. I'm always going to think that people love me that don't love me. I am such a fucking idiot. There's, I'm never going to get better. Would you used to talk about having thoughts like that? And I'm like, uh, you know, I evolved out of that. And in reality, I just think I only identified with this protector And, and that was it. Like I, the protector and I talked to aliens and that was it. And I couldn't hear all these other pieces of myself.
0: And it was strange that I saw through your protective self. I saw you as, as something so different than the way you perceive yourself. And and at Big Sky, I don't know if we've told this story on the podcast. This is
1: such a beautiful story. At Big Sky, the first
0: time we met, uh, we were talking and you said, um, I, I I need everyone to think I have my shit together. I ha-
1: I pe- can't bear people thinking I don't have my shit together.
0: And I was so bemused by that. And I said, Jessa, no one thinks you have your shit together. <laughs> but that's not true. It was just me. It was like, I I felt like... I was like, when I look at you, I don't see, uh, this sounds, uh, uh, I don't want this to sound mean or anything because I loved you, but I was, I saw someone very emotional and not in touch with those emotions. I saw someone that was compensate, like was that whose behavior was compensating for this and that, and uh, it was just, it was always a weird disconnect, I thought, between us because of how we perceived each other versus how we perceived ourselves. Cause I also perceived myself as a small weak piece of shit that nobody likes that isn't worth loving all this stuff. And that caused conflict as well because you didn't see me like that at all. And you would you you thought the world of me and you're like, Aaron, you are like this. You are so cool. You are so powerful. You're the baddest man in the room. Everybody looks up to you, all this stuff. And that was weird for me to hear. I was like, nah, I think you might be crazy. You know, I think you uh, might might be insane. And that, cause that's, that's not true at all. And you would say similar things to me if I ever brought stuff like that up, which I, I didn't usually because, <laughs> because then, uh, you would just be like, you're insane. Why do you, <laughs> why do you hate me? I'm like, I don't, I don't, I didn't hate you. I loved you. I just, uh, saw these emotions inside of you turmoil
1: on the podcast. And this will be a, a big season three shift, I think. On the podcast, there was a lot of me trying to fix you and a lot of me kind of taking like therapist or teacher role. And we would say on the podcast that you were also having that effect on my life, but we never really got into why they never heard it on the podcast. And as a result, fans would talk to you like you were kind of the broken one and I was the one who had her shit together.
0: Yeah. And I want to get, I want to really dive into this on a, on a different episode someday. Uh, Cause I got lots of feelings about it, but like the plan of the podcast was like two was, was what we was twin flames. It was yeah. a secret twin flame podcast where it was like, we're going to trade the pieces back and forth and we're going to, to document it's, it. It's a, it's a mutual thing. It's a mutual exchange in our minds. It was like, I am going to teach Jessa. Jessa is going to teach me. We're going to be mirrors. We're going to reflect. I said this in a Patreon episode that I'm editing right now where um, I don't think anyone can fix anyone else. I think uh, we we, we say it like that. But I think Jessa fixes herself while in your reflection. Yeah. She fixes herself in my reflection. and I fix myself in her reflection. And that's what the podcast was, but it was being perceived by everyone as just affixing me. And that was it. And sometimes just fixes herself too. But like, I don't know, there was definitely like this, this idea that the power dynamic was being perceived differently than I thought
1: it was. And the reason for that is with the codependency, there was for me trying to chase something in you. And there's like, we'll get more into the codependency, but I was trying to get you to admit that you felt the same that I did and you didn't because I was codependently attached to you, but I didn't know I was codependently attached to you. So I was trying to get you to admit that there was a special connection between us, which you never denied. You were like, yeah, I love you a lot. And, but I was trying to make you be also codependent with me, but I didn't know I was codependent, but part of the codependency was this constant obsession with getting you like with being, making you love me. And so when, when we would do episodes where you would point out things about me, I couldn't hear it in the nature, in the way that you were saying it, because the codependency would cause me to feel like you hated me. And so I would get very defensive because if you knew that that was true about me, this is very subconscious that now I'm like, oh, fuck. If you knew that that was true about me, you wouldn't love me. And the twist at the end, when I find out at the end of this breakup that I am codependent and I have to come forward and tell you it was me. There was I had my hand closed. I'm the one who was doing love wrong. You loved me unconditionally. You did all of these things to be close to me, and I was the one who was all of the things I said I wasn't. Um, I had a really hard time saying that to you, and then you didn't even agree with me. You just said, thank you for saying it, and then I freaked out, and in that moment I broke down and cried after being mean, and then said... (laughs) I said, I... If you I can't it's so hard for me to admit this because if you knew these things were true about me, you would never love me. And you said, I've known these things were true the entire time, and I loved you anyway. And that is real love, is unconditional love, is the kind of love that I thought I was uh preaching but um there's something about like the levels to this mirroring where we mirror each other's trauma we mirror we trigger the motherfuck out of each other like it had to be a fear of intimacy meets codependency because nothing would trigger a fear of intimacy more than a codependent person nothing would trigger nothing would trigger my codependency uh, as hard as as it had to be the way it was for us to we like Maxed triggered each other. We flooded each other in order so that we could work through this stuff. And then we separate and we start sorting through this stuff. And I realize I am emotional. Like you told me I was, and you realize that you are as amazing as I said you were. And we start to put the pieces back together. And then for me, there's so much guilt and there's so much shame because this is like I don't know. I'm a little jealous. Once again, uh, you get to re-enter society and get blowjobs and smoke pot. You get to come out of this and find out how amazing you are, and I'm coming out of this and I'm like, oh, I'm I, I'm a, I'm ashamed of a lot of this. Yeah, um,
0: well, I I felt guilty and ashamed. Yeah, for during so I get yeah. Well, no, like I mean, yeah, for a lot of my life, yeah. But like also, I feel like. I was feeling the blame of everything like during the relationship. And I was really, uh, beating myself up over everything, like all the, everything during the relationship I felt, uh, I don't know. It it didn't feel, it didn't, I, yeah, I beat myself up a lot. And so, uh, I think we, we each get a turn feeling guilty. I think like, uh, you don't have to though. Like this is not,
1: I know on the other side, it's just a whole more authentic version of yeah, myself. It's just,
0: well, there's just like, you didn't, I don't know. I, I, I knew it the whole time and I loved you anyway. And you said sorry afterwards and it felt better. I don't think you have to feel guilty.
1: I think it's part of the reason I can't feel my feelings or couldn't feel my feelings is because there's a shame for me with feeling feelings. Like it was not, okay when I was a kid and there were a lot of horrible things that happened that I was just like flooded with a lot of really horrible things back to back a couple of massive abandonments that I accepted but didn't realize like oh they had a lasting impact you know and um when I say guilt and shame I mean there's a lot in processing parts of me that came back got triggered back things I've worked on for years, like being direct and not being manipulative to get my needs met. And, um, I, in the recovery from codependency, it has been a lot of the experience I didn't get when I recovered from drugs because I have shame because there were times that I overstepped your boundaries and didn't respect your free will and those are bigger offenses to me than I stole your checkbook to buy dope. You know, those are like... Um, I'm they, sorry,
0: you stole my what? <laughs> Jessa! No, that's my mom. Apologize for that as well.
1: Whoa. Um, They were things that kept, you know, things more likely to keep me up at night yeah. than the dumb things I did when I was on drugs. And so that has been a lot of processing. Also, I've relapsed on codependency where I never ordinarily I quit things and I quit cold turkey and I never go back. And so I like codependency hasn't been like that. There are, there are days where I'm in it again. There is, I can hear it talking. Being back around you has been, um, triggering and I've had to accept myself and that it's okay that I'm trapped. I know you just <laughs> so her bracelet got stuck to her dress, and she's been trying to unhook it.
0: And then she's like, "No, I guess my hand is just stuck to my <laughs> pelvis now. She's gonna stay." You're just like, know, this is actually where I want my hand. I like it here. I like it resting on my."
1: <laughs> so now the bracelet's still stuck. You took your hand. <laughs> this fucking dress. Okay, um, it's a nice dress. It is, but it's like crocheted, so everything gets stuck to it. I believe from the.
0: Everyone's going to imagine you in a crochet dress right now. Like a. That doesn't look like crochet. It's
1: something. Fucking sewn. Wet. You you dress
0: differently than you did two months ago.
1: Well, summertime, I always wear dresses in the summertime, but I'm very feminine. I feel way more feminine than I usually am.
0: You look it too.
1: And I. God, do you remember the aliens telling me to buy a new wardrobe because I was going to play a new character? Oh my God,
0: they did. Yeah.
1: My hair won't curl like it used to. Like my hair does a whole different thing now.
0: What, the aliens want you to be a character with straight hair?
1: Like my hair, um, we'll get more into alien school stuff later. But from the alien school perspective of how to collectively raise to a higher consciousness, we have to transmute things, which is a word from pseudoscience uh, called alchemy. Dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous pseudoscience. And so the idea of transmuting things from old world to new world is you take it and you you change it. And I mastered codependent love. I mastered hand-closed love with you. I, I was the maximum amount of hand-closed love a person could be. And I didn't admit the full extent of how close my hand was getting, but it's closed. And now... I am opening that hand and letting you go and um, from a place of codependency and like, and having to do the opposite. Ordinarily I would have two months away from you and not have feelings for you anymore and would be fine and was, was banking on that. And I'm pretty fine when you're not around. I did get through a lot of it and, but I'm going to have to do this whole process. Like, I'm going to have to now that I know that it's codependency and that this is like, because codependency is very entangled in trauma and self worth and everything else. So, it's a lot. It's a lot to unpack. I'm not dating or having sex for a year while I unpack it, but it is, I'm still doing that in your reflection. Because if you just, if I just did what I always do, which is I'm in love. This feels awful. I feel, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm being compulsive. I feel like this person's hurting me. I can't get enough to feel safe. I just leave. I flee the country. I flee to the other side of the country and I never talk to them again. I quit cold turkey and then I don't have to deal with it. But once again, I have a motherfucking podcast with you and I have several times on this trip caught myself just being like, I wanna go home. I want to go home. Can I just go home? Can I just change my flight? Can I just go home? And uh and then I just go take a walk and it's like you're doing the work. This is the work. You can cut them out of your life and quit the podcast and you'll hate that, first of all. I love this podcast, but you can cut them out of your life and not grow or you can stay in this reflection that has already provided you with so many opportunities that were always painful and you can stay in the pain and transmute it to, to everything that you wanted in the future. I was just showing you, uh, Ramin Nazar, one of my, go follow this guy on Instagram. His art is fucking amazing. And it's like a server at a table. And he says, Oh, I know that you wanted to order the relief, but the relief is a dessert served with the pain. I'm butchering it, but I wanted to be this new version of myself, but I don't get to be that new version of myself without walking through the pain of healing the codependency and I can't heal the codependency without the, uh, process of letting go of someone that I'm codependently attached to.
0: So give us a brief summary of like, we're going to, we're going to dive into it more for both of us, but what was the last, like the a timeline of the last eight weeks? The last, How did it start? How did, was it in the middle? How did it end?
1: The last eight weeks w- involved, um, first week was like, whatever. Second, two weeks were drug withdrawal. Like I, I rise in bed, like a person kicking heroin at the same time. Jason had, uh, his life fell apart he left, he was no longer like paying child support or whatever. And so like my financial situation took a shit. I thought I was going to have to move back to Delaware. I went through a phase where I thought I was crazy. Like I had to face this point where it was like, you have to take two feet, like put two feet on one square. And a lot of people who resonate with alien school stuff were asking for more alien school stuff. And I've just been so resistant to that. We'll dive into that in another episode. But there came a point where I had to make that decision. And then I almost got a job selling cars. A lot of this happened in one week. Um, I almost got a job selling cars just to like, whatever, handle the financial stuff. Because I feel like I want to quit comedy, but whatever. And then I...
0: We're so similar. We are. our Our two months were so parallel.
1: But did you start reading tarot cards?
0: I didn't, I, nor did I start selling cars. But I really just wanted to quit comedy. <laughs> That's all I meant.
1: I fame started to really get to me, and I, I just learned a lot about myself, and I. Was going to go get a job selling cars and then was talking to Karen Rontowski, who does my readings, right? And she was just like, I'm going to ask again. Apparently, she's asked me multiple times. Like, why don't you do readings? You literally read oracles all day. You talk to aliens. You are made for this. And people want this from you. Like, why don't you do this? And I was like, because if I do that, I have to admit fully that that's the stuff that I believe in. And I like to keep this. Do I mean it? Am I kidding? Kind of thing that I play. <laughs> and it Is was
0: drug induced schizophrenia.
1: Right. I don't Disclaimer. know. Could be a brain tumor. And I'm not super. I just think it could be both. I could think there's, I think there's a timeline where I have that, but I'm mostly saying that to, to defend myself from people thinking ill of me yeah, and I'm coming to this place where to be truly authentic, I just have to be me. I'm not shoving it down anyone's throat. I'm not imposing my will. I'm not evangelizing. I'm sharing my own experience and there are a lot of people who my experience resonates with and I am getting a lot of messages from people. Once I finally made the decision to just be myself and sorry if you think it's crazy or woo woo or pseudoscientific, I'm not, fucking anti-vax on the internet. I'm not doing anything that's hurting anybody. And I'm really only talking to people who feel the same way. And there's so many of them. And once I made that decision, which included like a few hours where I thought maybe I should just put myself in a mental institution. Um, once I made that decision, people came out of the woodwork and they were like, I have thought I was crazy for a long time. Like, like I don't know. I don't have anyone to talk to who's had these same experiences, whatever. Like, like I'm finding my tribe and uh which is funny because that's what the aliens called it so I started doing readings and I've never felt because like I'm good at comedy for someone who's done it as little as I've done it I do have like natural talent at comedy I'm not I don't think I'm the best at it I have but I hate it I've always hated it comedy is something that comes and gets me and I I have a very I don't enjoy it you know kind of like it. I don't like it the way other comedians like it. I don't feel super driven to do it. I feel like it came into my life as a means to an end to do other things, but I've been doing readings and it's like what I was born to do. It's like all of this tapping into people and wanting to help people, but it's like an energy exchange because they're paying for the readings. And so we are exchanging something, which I never judged readers charging money because I'm like, well, it's a service and also exhausting to tap into other people all day. But I had a hard time being okay with that for me. I felt like it was greedy or um, not spiritual or something for me. And then I finally came to a point where I was like, how much would I be willing to pay Karen for what Karen has brought into my life? Also, when I realized I was codependent and that I had abandonment issues, did not come from my therapist who I see every week came from tarot readings. I was watching on YouTube and I really just kind of had all in one day had this like, yeah, like it was right in front of my face and I was avoiding it. And so within, you know, nine days I was a professional full-time tarot reader cause it's me. And I, that's the speed of Jessa. And I, I get up in the morning and I feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm on this path that I was supposed to be on and I feel, I don't even know how to describe it. I feel like I'm in the right place. I'm doing the thing that I waited 20 years, that the blue ball of light talked about, and I finally am in the moment that I waited for for 20 years. And um, I'm really happy. I'm like happy in a way that like, I'm happy but can feel sadness I'm like an authentic version of myself, and I haven't even unpacked. I feel like I've just arrived to this place, and I haven't even unpacked my suitcase yet. I feel like this time next year, I'm not even going to recognize myself.
0: If you guys want to get a tarot reading from Jessa, you can through her website, but make sure to mention Mormon and the meth head, because that way I get paid. (laughs)
1: If you mentioned Mormon in the meth head in the thing where, where did you hear about us? Then Aaron gets 10%. I get 10%. Some money, so
0: uh, it's only fair if you heard about it here. Well, my story I don't think is as good as yours. It's not as finished as yours because uh, as always, I move a lot slower than you. My eight weeks. And if you, this is the first you're hearing about this breakup. It's because you're not a patron. We yeah, had, the
1: patrons knew when we broke up. Yeah, we
0: released an episode on Patreon that you can still pay us to hear when we broke up. You want to hear us cry? You can do it. <laughs> and then we had we had a couple updates as well throughout. And uh, so we won't ever go like totally back into that stuff again. I think the only way... I mean, that was that was hard for us to record. Yeah. And... Uh, it also was where s- we
1: were at when we were in it, and we're not there anymore anymore. Right. But um
0: the beginning was, I think like you said the first week was whatever, same for me, just kind of numb to it yeah, then it settles it the sadness really settled in in week two and three, four. I got very sad um and I was taking a lot of the blame for our unhappiness and our breakup and It was really playing a lot of the feelings that I had from the end of my marriage where I felt like, oh, this is my fault. I fucked it up. I fuck up relationships. That's who I am. I hurt people. I make people cry. I make everyone that I love cry. It's not good. It's not uh, great. It's not good. And then I felt crazy for a long time. I never thought about checking myself into a mental institution, but you, those that listen to the Patreon episodes heard me talk about how I just didn't trust any of my own thoughts for a long time because you were telling me a lot of things about what I did and what I feel and all this stuff. And I internalized it and it was then very hard to trust myself that I, I thought I asked the same questions. Like, do I even know what love is? Do I know? I thought I knew, but, uh, just it says I don't. And, uh, like, you know, what if, what if I, I was in love and I was just avoidant or detached or deactivated or afraid of intimacy or commitment, whatever, whatever we were calling it. I was like, what if I'm just all those things? And how do I know, how can I trust my thoughts? If I, like, I'm trying to date, I I tried to go on a date and I, like, have no idea how I feel about this person. Like, I think I feel this way, but what if I'm really just so avoidant that my brain is tricking me into thinking that I like this person only because it's driving me further away from Jessa, who I'm actually in love with and I'm just scared of. Like, what if that's what the truth is? Uh, and then I would go back and forth and be like, I don't know what, I don't know what, I don't know what I think. I don't know what I am. I don't know, uh, how I feel. It was very, very frustrating. And, um, I spent a lot of time processing and thinking about stuff from our relationship and sorting it out and going, okay, here's what I think I did wrong. Here's what I think I did right. And separating that instead of being completely black and white and saying, I suck. I right. suck. And I'm bad at, at the relationship. And I, when I said that we were really good at breaking up, I didn't, it wasn't by any means like 100% nice and easy. But I think, cause I think when you break up, you have angry feelings, sad feelings, hurt feelings, And I'm not one to ignore those. I think that it's important to go over them. And we were both really, really good at giving each other the time and space to say, to express all those feelings. And we did a good job of both of us listening to the other person and listening to their pain and saying sorry and asking for forgiveness. But jessa did go first like jessa got her turn first and like the beginning of the breakup was mostly and i was just absorbing all of all of your angry feelings and turning it into self-hate and really getting down on myself and feeling like i'm never gonna be happy i'm never gonna uh, be in love with somebody like this is what will always happen and i'll uh, you know all this stuff and then when you had your realization about codependence and you texted me that stuff. I know all I said was thanks for saying it, yeah. but it meant a lot. It really was a turning point for me to be like, whew, okay. Like I knew that this wasn't all all on me. Like I knew that and it feels good to have that feeling validated. And then you took your you know, your turn saying, like, okay, here you know, I realized I did this wrong and I did that wrong and I did this wrong. And it was uh very helpful for me to hear, it was very healing for me to hear because it was like permission to not hate myself so much. Right. It was it was telling me like that I wasn't a monster, that I didn't make you crazy or anything. And that's so and that's It was only in like the last few weeks that I started getting better. What's so
1: interesting is we were supposed to be together the week of the 5th and it got canceled. That club went under and so many amazing things happened for us being apart for those extra two weeks.
0: Right. I changed in some way seemingly overnight. I started behaving differently and it was like the way I always wanted to behave and uh, just just things that, that we'll dive into more, but like standing up for myself, having a greater self-worth and uh, making choices based on that self-worth and saying, you know, huh, I I deserve this or I don't need to do that. That's chasing something that's unhappy and I don't have to do that. And it it's been really, really good. I still am trying to sort through all my thoughts. Like I'm not completely done being crazy because I still wonder like, Do, how afraid of intimacy am I? Do I, what, what's, you know, but I feel much more optimistic and I feel like, Oh, I'm figuring it out, figuring it out. And, uh, I don't know. It feels good. It feels good so far. And I think that it'll keep getting better.
1: I think it was everything we thought it was going to be. In none of the ways that we thought. In
0: none of the ways that we thought.
1: I look back at all of what felt like living in hell with each other. And it all, some of it's still triggering. Some of it we're still working through. But like how beautiful a lot of it is. Like I can look back and be like literally just two people working out their own salvation into the mirror of the other one. And how, how dormant that codependency is laid in me and how well, like how I never would have seen it. I didn't see it when it was very active between us. And part of me telling you all these terrible things about what you did to me at the end of the, at the beginning of the breakup was because we broke up and I was still a shell of myself. I was still really bad. And then I it has to be your, now I'm mad at you because now I'm never going to be better. I'm still so broken. I'm still so fucked up. And I hope that part of me saying that stuff, because as soon as I said it to you, like the next day, I was like, I'm still fucked up. Like that wasn't it either. You know, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's very magic. And I think I think twin flames are real, man. And now I think back to all the stuff that we write about. It It was like, they come into your life to balance out your masculine and feminine. You, there's a runner and a chaser dynamic.
0: There's attraction.
1: There's, yeah, there is, there is an insane bond between us. And like, this is part of the opening hand thing for me is like, for me, I was like, this is, don't you see, like, you don't get this anywhere. Like this doesn't happen anywhere. This is meant we have to hold on to this. We have to put this in a bottle, you know? And I was like constantly trying to point it out to you. And it was like, you were never denying that. You were like, yeah, you feel connected to my soul. There are all these great things about our connection. And then you would just kind of like have the connection and then not need to, to, to do anything weird with it. And then I would need, I would try to turn it into something, you know, close handed, but then that made us both miserable. It didn't make me happy. I wasn't upset because you weren't doing the right thing. I was upset because I'm vulnerable and I don't know what the fuck to do with vulnerability. And I kept trying to make you fix it. And then, then I felt like, but the whole time in my head, I felt like I was fighting for us when it was like, we had us the entire time. We never didn't have us. And then I had that vision that one time in the middle of that time. I accidentally did the weed pill where they showed me the game of mirrors thing where everybody is projecting their own movie and they're all playing different movies. And I didn't realize, I thought that was a vision for humanity, but it was actually for me. So the next few episodes are going to be us kind of diving deeper into all of this stuff.
0: So buckle up and (laughs) come along for the ride. It'll be okay. We promise. I love you, Jessa. I love you too. Catch you guys next time on Mormon and the meth head.
1: If you put a Mormon and a meth head, Together, this is what they sound like.
0: Aaron Woodall and Jessica Reddard. Friends, listen to them talking to Mike. Woman in the mud. Woman in the mud. Woman in the mud. Stop. A podcast. <clears throat> a podcast network. the future. So cool, right? All of those amazing new innovations that are going to make life even better. Like, okay, wouldn't it be great if your car could change color to match your mood? Oh, wait, no, to match your outfit. Ooh, I think I would like that. Buick is thinking about the future every day. A future built around you with super smart Buick EVs that can make your life even better. And soothing spa-like interiors that can leave you feeling relaxed and refreshed. Wait, is that eucalyptus? Oh, believe me, the future smells incredible. And it's all out there waiting. So let's go to the future together. want to go? Join us at buick.com slash future.